This podcast does not provide medical advice. Please listen to the complete disclosure at the end of the recording. Hello and welcome to Everyone Dies, the podcast. I'm Marianne Matzo and uh, Charlie, 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 Charlie. Well, we recorded this um, last week and Charlie uploaded his track and somehow in the course of Halloween and Mercury being in retrograde, um, Ursula the Sea Witch came and stole his voice off of the Uh-oh. recording. And she's out in the world somewhere talking about White Castles and Detroit and Buddy's Pizza. So, Ursula, good luck. You'll never even miss it. What I want from you is your voice. So you have me for... Um, everything today and i will try to do as good a job as um charlie does so here we go so put up your feet relax and thank you for the spending the next hour with well me as um well we were going to charlie actually and i did talk about the class assignment coco and um so we'll do that again next week so that you can hear both sides of it so i guess we really don't have much of a first half In the second half, I'm going to talk about adult orphans. And in our third half, the funeral theater players, uh, where we put the fun in funeral, uh, will present the final scene from the film, I Never Sang for My Father. So, the dessert that um, Charlie had made for us while we were uh, talking about Coco was excellent. And, you know, I also realized that since there's... I'm recording this on Friday, and we still don't know who our president is. There's a good deal of anxiety about that. So, a way to help you with that, and um, our land of death by chocolate, we have a great dessert. Um, it has a brownie base with a melt-in-your-mouth mint layer of chopped Andes candies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's topped with a rich, smooth ganache to make it truly incredible. And the recipe is from Rebecca Radawan from Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. Whew, that's a lot of W's and R's. So, um, please go to Everyone Dies. Um, send us your own recipes to share with others. We appreciate your questions and anything else you want to tell us. You can email us at mail at everyonedies.org. That's M-A-I-L at E-V-E-R-Y, the number one dies.org. Please join our Facebook group, Everyone Dies, and please remember to rate and review this podcast. It's kind of really important in the world of podcasters, and gosh, gosh, it would sure help. Um, Molly, our own queen angelfish, is hoping that you can tribute to her life goals by following us on Twitter and reposting her tweets. So, um, our second half, we're going to talk about the death of a parent. Well, I'm going to talk about the death of a parent. I guess, unknowingly or unwittingly, uh, we're following along with the theme of death of parents. And uh, today, I'm going to talk about adult orphans and the death of a parent. Um, the death of a parent is really a defining moment in our lives. It, it changes something within us. Um, I can remember when my mother died. Um, my father died when I was 15, and my mother died when I was, I don't know, in my fifth 
Yeah, when I was was in my 50s. And I remember this sense of being set free. And I thought, that's an odd feeling to have when your mother dies. But that was the feeling. I mean, I'm not going to pretend it wasn't. And it was sort of like this feeling of, I can truly make my own decisions and there isn't anybody who's going to judge me. Now, I guess my mom would only judge me if she knew what decisions I was making up until then. (laughs) Because, you know, when you have a long-distance relationship, you can choose what you're going to tell them and what you're not. But be that as it may, um, I just remember that that was my feeling, was like freedom. And so, and and those are those are fe- those are valid feelings that people can have. But a, a lot of times, um, the feeling, especially when it's the last parent to die, you still have a, a dad left, so you so you might not be be feeling this yet. But for those who, it's the second parent who's died. It's like a wall comes down, and I always like to think of it as a game of mother may I. You know when you kind of line up, but imagine that there's lots of people in front of you. And um, as each kind of, you know, may I take one step forward, may I take two steps forward, people move forward. And as our ancestors in front of us die, we keep taking one giant step forward toward that line of mortality. And our parents are really a buffer between us and death or so it's perceived. And that's why, you know, again, as is, is part of our, our collective psyche, people will say it's wrong for a child to die before a parent. A parent should never have to bury their child. It's for that, that reason. There's a circle of life and our parents, our kids are supposed to have to bury us and take care of all of our crap after we're dead. Um, and so, as they go on, as the parents who are in front of us, they're that that closest wall between us and mortality. And once they die, that buffer between ourselves and death goes away, that safety net. And so their death is really a significant rite of passage for us, no matter what our age. You know, and when when children, for children, when their parents die, we say, oh, it's so sad, that child lost their mom, their their, their mom or their dad is dead. But as adults, we're expected to just dust ourselves off and move on. For heaven's sake, you're an adult. Your mom was 90. Yes, your mom died. Move on. But it doesn't matter. Like even in the film Coco, it doesn't matter. You can be very, very old and still be missing and longing, longing and yearning for your parent. Um. So, do we become midlife orphans? Are we orphaned adults? Are we just plain orphans when that happens? Um, when our parents die, we no longer have someone who's known us every minute of our lives. The only person who knows us every minute of our lives is our parents. Um, people, when their parents die, sometimes will say that they feel loneliness or Maybe they feel more reckless or they feel more needy and childish. Parental loss in midlife can result in lingering feelings of loneliness, feeling alone on the earth for the first time in their lives, 
when we have our parents, no matter where they are, there's, there's that other person there. There's that other person that, you know, theoretically, supposedly we should be able to count on. I know that that's not always true, but our fantasy is that, that that's true. Another thing that people can feel is that it really can bring back memories of former losses, unresolved conflicts, or doubts about your purpose in life. Having your parent die is is this profound change in your life. And I'll talk about a few other things, but everything is kind of thrown up in the air for a while. And then you, as it lands, you look around and say, okay, so what do I have here? Um, Some people feel as though they've lost their family. The death of a parent is, can feel as though it's the loss of of that, well, it actually is the loss of the family that you grew up in. You know, we grew up in a family that had, you know, you know, whoever was there, that you had this, this unit of people. And so when somebody within that unit dies, there's this, oh, this, this can't be as it was anymore. You know, every time there's that change, either that somebody gets married or whatever, and um, somebody just posted a, a family picture of us. Um, I think it was probably Anna because she found a whole bunch of pictures when she was cleaning. But it's, it's the family picture that my parents had taken, you know, at an actual photo studio when my sister was about to get married. And so it was like considered to be the last time because I remember them talking about this. It was the last time that we were going to be like this family without anybody married or anything else. And so I'm in kindergarten, you know, and, um, you know, my brother, I don't know what my brother is. He's probably out of high school by then. I can't really remember. I guess I could do the math. No. Yeah. Probably, but anyway, we're all so young. But in that picture of four kids and both our parents, it's just my brother and I who are alive. So you look at that picture, and it's like you know, I don't know how much longer till it can go on the ofrenda, but you know, it can't go yet. But it's just down to two people here. <laughs> you know? um, I don't think he probably would find that story funny. But you know, you know, we are a little warped. Um, So parents are the consistent variable in holding a family together as a unit. When they're gone, the family will tend to disperse because, and I've seen it over and over again in my family and friends' families is that that those parents are that glue. However many kids you have, they'll come together for holidays or whatever. They'll come together. But then once the parents are gone, you know, theoretically, those all those families have gotten older, and they kind of splinter off and they do their own thing with their adult children and then their grandchildren. It's like that coming together in that way, it just doesn't happen. When when my mother died, last time I, I, I went back to Michigan, Charlie's and my sister Kathleen died about, God, nine years ago, I guess now. And um, my mother had died the year before that. And my girls were, well, they were in high school. They said, let's, can we go by grandma's house? And in, I, I was brought into that house. 
you know, when, when she died nine years ago, I, you know, 50 whatever years of that was home. And so we drove over to Lincoln Park and we, we kind of parked outside grandma's house. <laughs> and um, the kids were like, can we go in and see her pink bathroom? And I said, well, no, there's people who live there now. And they're like, oh, no, they won't mind. <laughs> um, it's like, well, I don't know if they'll mind, but, you know, we can't just go and say, I grew up here and I want to go see, you know, like where my dad carved Andy plus Catherine in the desk drawer, you know, on the inside or all the, the little things that, that were our house. And so um, we lose, when, when that last parent dies, we lose more than just that last connection. If they're still in their house, the house is going to be sold. On top of that, you have to go through all their junk. When my mom died, we she had like this hope chest, and my sister and I were cleaning it out, and we opened this box and screamed, you know, two adult women, because in the box were my mother's curls from when she was a teenager, when she had, you know, the fat finger curls cut off her hair because she had grown up. I mean, my mom was almost 80 when she died. You know how old those curls are? And I looked at my sister. I said, well, what are we going to do with these? And she's like, you're going to throw them away. It's like, well, but she kept them for, you know, 70 years. She's like, I don't care. You want the curls? You take them. <laughs> there are a lot of traumas going through mama's house, you know? <laughs> so, so there's that there's that loss and there's that stress. And in fact, our um, interview this week on Passionate World Talk Radio is with Noelle, whose mother has died the end just like four weeks ago. And she's going through the process of cleaning out mom's house and you know, and she talks about the end of mom's life and what's happened. And it's a, it's a really, really good interview that kind of brings up these issues. It's always on Passionate World Talk Radio. And if you go to our website, everyonedies.org, and the top bar, it says radio shows. And you can click on there and find the radio shows. Or you can, you can listen to them wherever you listen to podcasts. So for other people... Um, Losing a parent can bring some siblings closer. Um, each sibling is going to react differently to, to the death because each one has a different relationship with the parent. Um, you know, some parents, like like my older sister was a nun, and so she was, like, really, really favored. And then my next sister was not favored the way the other one was favored. And then my brother was the only boy, so he was treated like a queen. King. So each of us had a different relationship because my mom treated us differently, like extremely. And so each sibling is going to have a different relationship. And the death of the parent is really can can easily dredge up the past. And I know for myself, um, my sister went into the convent when she was about, I don't know, 17, 18, right out of high school. And I can remember her always writing letters home. Well, my mother kept every one of those letters. And so we found them in the hope chest with the human curls. And my sister um, 
said, just throw those away. And I said, I'm not throwing these away. I want to read them. So I'm saying, you know, and I was a little, little kid and my sister would write like a section to each of us because she was only allowed to mail one letter because it was the convent, you know? And so there'd be the section for Marianne, you know, be like, are you good? Are you minding mom? But well, the one at Thanksgiving or thing at Halloween said, I hear you're going to be sparkle the elephant for Halloween. And I sat there and I burst into tears because I remember Sparkle the Elephant. I remember that costume. It was in a box with a cellophane top. It was the only costume my mother ever actually let me buy because we always had to make our own costumes. But for some reason, when I was really, really little, she let me be Sparkle the Elephant, and I was so damn cute. There is no picture of Sparkle the Elephant. I'm not remembering it from pictures, but when my sister wrote about me being Sparkle the Elephant, I could see it. I can, I just, it all came back. So when you talk about dredging up the past, all you have to do is go through your mom's hope chest or her bedside drawer, whatever kind of mom you got. And it's, there's going to be all kinds of crap that you're going to have to unpack. And those letters were like a timeline of our, of our family, you know, talking about vacation, talking to my dad about his business, talking to my brother about baseball. It was just, it was just incredible. It was difficult, but it was so nice to pull those memories out of the bat, the bat cage of my brain. <laughs> anyway. um, so when you're faced with the death of a parent, here's some things to think about. First, acknowledge that it's a big deal. Your grief matters. Grief is grief. Even if your parent is 100, even if you're 75, For most people, the death of their final parent hits them the hardest. When your first parent dies, you're you're kind of focused on the living parent. But when that final parent dies, there are less distractions and responsibility, and you, you have an easier access to your own feelings. So consider all the losses. It's not just the death of your parent. There are multiple losses now, like the house you grew up in, the person who you'd call when things went wrong, The one who knew your likes and dislikes. The one who taught you how to drive a car. Never missed a sports event that you played in. Was your children's babysitter. The connections that we have with our parents or that we could have with our parents are endless. Give yourself the time that you need to grieve and try not to minimize this loss just because you're an old person yourself. Second, recognize that you've lost more than your relationship with your parent. You have not only lost the role of child, because you are nobody's child again, but if you were helping your parents, the role of caretaker. You know, you remember when your kids left home and you were no longer responsible or involved in their day-to-day lives. Remember the soccer parents or your kids' friends that you missed when the kids left. Well, you're going to miss if you've been you know, a caretaker for your parent, you're going to miss those caretakers, those people that you spoke to regularly, the families that if you went to the nursing home or the hospice nurses or, or whoever are those connections through your parents' later years, you lose them too. They're gone too. Um, so these people are part of your life and losing them can be pretty tough. 
Third, um, reach out to others who are in the same situation. There's nothing more powerful than the sense of being part of a community where we feel understood. Reach out to others who've recently lost their second parent. Tell them why you're reaching out and ask to Zoom or FaceTime or something like that. Um, those already in the club are usually pretty happy to connect with you because they remember those feelings that nobody warned them about. And I guess that's a part of what we're doing with you today is we're warning you so that when that happens, you'll say, ah, this is what she was talking about. The person you reach out to doesn't have to be a close friend or a confidant. Casual friends can be just as understanding, sometimes more understanding and helpful in these situations. Lastly, use the tools that you used when you became an empty nester. How did you handle your transition to the empty nest? What worked for you? Did you take time to let the dust settle or did you just jump right back into making new connections? Some new orphans, and I'm talking about adult orphans, like, well not Charlie, but me, feel a greater need to get involved in something more meaningful. Um, some redeploy the skills they develop caring for their parents to become a patient care advocate or drive the elderly to medical appointments or volunteer at elder care communities. Others just enjoy their freedom to take care of themselves and enjoy spending more time with their friends and having fun. You can create continuing bonds, find ways to stay connected to the people that have died. Um, you can support their preferred charity, uh, cook their favorite meal for a family get-together, uh, keep something of uh, theirs close to you, plant a garden, bake a cake and celebrate their birthday, um, build an ofrenda and put their picture on it. There's ways that we can remember them and 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 still continue to heal and support that relationship. After a parent dies, we continue to carry their voice in our heads at some level, as either they're there as an encourager or they're an admonisher. And I can say for a fact that I have many times heard my mother's uh, voice in my head, and in particular when I was um, actively parenting my children when they were young. I I guess I don't hear the voice so much now because I don't know that I was really so actively talking to her, um, you know, in those late 20s, in the 20s where my girls are now. But I can remember when they were young, I would hear exactly what my mother would say in a situation. I was completely confident about what she would say. And I would listen to that voice and I would say the exact opposite to my child because I wanted them to have a different experience. Um, death ends a life, but it doesn't end a relationship. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge that their voice is going to somewhere always be in our head, and what we learn from them will always be somewhere in, in our hearts. Um, we have an adult orphan fact sheet um, on our website, so please take a look at that. Um, you can find additional resources. You can write to us about topics you'd like us to discuss. Um, you can send us emails at mail at everyonedies.org. It's mail, M-A-I-L, at everyone with the number one dies.org. Welcome to the third half. In the third half, um, we're 
going to do the final scene from I Never Sang for My Father. Now, that film, if you haven't seen it, is a 1970 film where Gene Hackman, who plays the son, and Melvin Douglas, who plays the father, both were um, nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, didn't win, but they they were nominated. And it's a wonderful film about relationships between parents and siblings, but primarily between a son and his father. The father, Melvin Douglas, uh, Melvin Douglas's character anyway, is a very difficult man. And he had a very difficult, poor upbringing. And he spent uh, a lot of time when um, Gene Hackman was growing up talking about how he never had anything, he never even had an orange, and um, a lot of focus on that. Gene Hackman had a totally different relationship with his mom, and in the end, or toward the end, mom dies first, and Gene Hackman is left with Melvin Douglas to kind of take care of him, if, if you can take care of somebody as as difficult as Melvin Douglas. And their final uh, scene that we see in the film together is just heartbreaking. It's, it's, it's hard to watch. It makes me cringe to see a father talk to his son that way. And Gene Hackman is such an incredible actor that you can see all of that on his face. So... Um, I would, I don't know, I would just tell you to watch it because it's really good. But anyway, the final soliloquy at the end, which um, Charlie did beautifully, but um, now Ursula the Sea Witch is spouting all this out. So I will do it for you as best as I can channel my inner um, Gene Hackman. That night, I left my father's house forever. I took the first right and the second left and this time went as far as California. Peggy and I visited him once or twice, and then he came to California to visit us and had fever and swollen ankles, and we put him in the hospital, and he never left. The reason we gave, and which he could accept for not leaving, were the swollen ankles. The real reason? The arteries were hardening. And he gradually, over several years, slipped into complete and speechless senility with all of his life centered in his burning eyes. When I would visit him and we would sit and look at each other, his eyes would mist over and his nostrils would pinch with emotion. But I never learned what the emotion was. Anger, love, regret. One day, sitting in his wheelchair and staring without comprehension at television, he died, alone, without even an orange in his hand. Death ends a life, but it does not end a relationship, which struggles on in the survivor's mind towards some resolution which it never finds. Alice. Alice said, I would not accept the sadness of this world. What did it matter if I never loved him or he never loved me? Perhaps she was right. But still, when I hear the word father, it matters. Thank you for listening. 
Please stay tuned for future episodes of Everyone Dies. Our thanks to our executive producer, retired Major General David, our producer Sandy, John, our technical advisor, Molly, our Twitter correspondents, and our friend, family, and loyal listeners who are supporting our work at Everyone Dies. Charlie Navarrete is in New York City, and if he were here, he would say thank you. And I'm Marianne Matzo, and we look forward to talking with you soon. Remember, every day is a gift. This podcast does not provide medical advice. All discussion on this podcast, such as treatments, dosages, outcomes, charts, patient profiles, advice, messages, and any other discussion are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your primary care practitioner or other qualified health providers with any questions that you may have regarding your health. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard from this podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Everyone Dies does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, practitioners, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in this podcast. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast by persons appearing on this podcast at the invitation of Everyone Dies or by other members is solely at your own risk.